Good morning. I see that a lot of you got the same memo that I did this morning. Wear green. I mean, I don't know what it was necessarily. I do have to say, um, Scott, would you, would you do me a favor? Would you stand up? You got to see this. Turn around. He's looking mighty fine, if I do say so myself. Mm -hmm. That's a good look right there. <laughs> Seriously, when we walked in, I was like, hey, I got a mirror. <laughs> it's like, that's great. <laughs> Uh, he might look a little better than I do, but we're not going to go there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Hannah, you did a good job agreeing. That was well done. You see, did you see that? <laughs> oh, man. It is good that you're here. I'm glad that uh, the, uh, the youth section, uh, someone was asking, man, what, what's up with, with all that? Uh, we, we have the, the ladies there, thank you, that are holding it down. We appreciate it. A lot of them are skiing. And uh, so we're hoping that every they come back whole um, with no extra, you know, help through casts or anything like that. But uh, pray for their safe journey and the families and uh, as they head back, uh, that, as they're heading back, I hope they've had a grand time up in uh, the mountains. We're continuing our study and uh, through the book of Ruth about the best is yet to come. And as I was reading through this, I realized life, I, I remembered, I've known this for a while, but life is better when done together. I mean, in the beginning, when God created Adam, Adam was in perfect health, was taken care of, was in complete control of the remote control, and God said, no, that's not good enough. He created a helpmate, a companion, Eve, to go with him. And this is more than just marriage, although that's definitely part of it, but we were, uh, we were created as communal beings. We were created to lean upon one another, to sing to one another, to share our hearts with one another, to have conversations with one another. In fact, this one another idea is all over Scripture. Don't believe me, head to Rusty's class on Sunday mornings. He's talking about those. A lot of one another passages. All of these times that we're called to be together. And we like stories, especially whenever we do focus it on a marriage kind of idea. We like the stories about whenever a guy is supposed to get with this girl, and we all know it's supposed to work. We all know who it is that's supposed to be together. We've seen it from page one or, or from the first ten minutes of the movie, but there's obstacles to cover. There's, there's things to go, go through in order to make this relationship work. Any good, uh, we call them chick flicks. Um, I don't know if that's completely a derogatory term or not. It helps us understand those kind of love stories. We know, we know how they work. And they're supposed to feel good. If the girl gets with the wrong guy or however that, or, or the, the two don't get together, it's not a good movie. They're supposed to. But it's not always easy to get the right guy with the right girl. And it's usually the man's fault. Because men, men, yeah, I know. Men are dense. A lot of amens from the ladies, or at least uh, some not. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. That's what I was waiting for. And if you uh, were in my class this morning, you can even see how dense men are in a public setting with our wives and uh, messing up. But the thing is, I, I, 
the, I mean, really, I, w- I was so dense myself. Before Katie and I, I'm, I'm in dangerous ground here. I'm going to bring Katie and back into a relationship thing. Did that in class, and it didn't go well for me, but I'm going to try it one more time. Before we were dating, we were hanging out. We were having a good time, uh, do, you know, just doing the things that friends do, and no strings attached in my mind, and then she sits me down and has the talk. And the talk went about like this. She said, are we going somewhere, or are you just leading me on? I'll get back to you on that. Well, we, she stuck around, and we, we got married, and I think it's worked so far. Um, you know, 14, almost 15 years in, we might be doing all right. But the thing is, life is done better together. Even in its ups and its downs, even in its struggles, it's done better together. So we've been looking in the story of Ruth, and in in Ruth chapter 1, we see that a guy named Elimelech takes his family out of the promised land, out of Bethlehem, to go to Moab. Of all the places he could have gone, why Moab? But he went to Moab. There in the land of Moab, he dies. His two sons die, leaving behind a widow and two daughters-in-law. Naomi realizes she doesn't have to stay in a foreign land. She can head back home there in chapter 1. So she starts on the journey home, sends one of her daughters-in-law back uh, to, to uh, to her father's house in Moab. But Ruth decides, I'm going to stay with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I will be with you until death. Life is done better together. Chapter 2, we see that, that Ruth and Naomi have been received back in Bethlehem, but they are, they are widowed, poor, no one to take care of them, so Ruth goes out into the field to glean. She goes out in the field to make the only honorable living that someone can make whenever you're a widow, uh, whenever you are fatherless, and... You're a foreigner. The law provisioned for people like her. Whether the people of Israel followed the law was a guess during the time of the judges. But she so happened to find herself in the right field. She found herself in the field of a guy named Boaz who just happens to be the family redeemer, a close relative of Elimelech's. She's been in that field now for a while. Boaz is taking care of her. But when we turn to chapter 3, the plot thickens. See, Naomi wants to take care of her daughter, her daughter-in-law. She doesn't want her to have to glean her whole life, and so she devises a plan to get the ball moving in this love story. It starts off with this, chapter 3, verse 1. One day Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. At this point in the story, Ruth has been in the fields of Boaz for six to eight weeks. She's been there for a while. We just turned the page uh, in, in our reading, but she has been going to his fields for about six to eight weeks during the entire harvest. 
Harvest is now over, but nothing has happened. Naomi doesn't want her daughter-in-law to live like this, so she wants to get the ball rolling, and so Naomi plays a little matchmaker, matchmaker. She's thinking, how do I, well, as she says, provide a permanent home? Now, the Hebrew for that can also mean rest, and I like that. Because it's not just a permanent home as a place of dwelling. It is a place of rest. How can I find a place of rest? Because life is done better together. Where's that rest? Naomi has, in chapter 1, seemed to just be thinking about herself. But in chapter 2, she starts to see God's provision and God's blessing. By chapter 3, she is no longer thinking about herself. She is thinking about her daughter. In fact, the language doesn't say that she's a daughter-in-law. She says, my daughter. This is where the relationship has even grown further because life is done better together. When the chapter closes, we're going to see that God is pleased to take Naomi's and Ruth's faith and their risk involved here and honor them. I believe God is pleased to honor the risks the faith risks that we take as well. So this proposal that uh, Naomi is giving for Ruth to do, it may sound odd. It may seem a little strange, especially since, according to the law, Israelite men were not to marry foreign women. And this is Ruth, a Moabitess. She's from the land of Moab. See, in chapter 1, When Elimelech's sons married these women, that was against the law. But I want you to know that in the old, as long and as well to today, God has never been against interracial marriage. That's not what that was about. He was against interreligious marriage. He was against marrying someone of a different religion. And if you know the story of Ruth, if you know in chapter 1 what she said, Whenever she left her homeland to be with Naomi, she said, your people will be my people, your God, my God. Ruth has become what we'll call a proselyte Jew. She has given her life to following the one true God. So she, is no, she may be a foreigner by descent, but she is not of a foreign religion any longer. And so Naomi is trying to hook her up with Boaz. And what she does, what she offers, is an interesting proposal. Now, the first part of it makes sense. She says, clean up and dress up. Well, you know, these are things that do matter to guys. We notice whenever a girl dresses up. We notice whenever she fixes up her hair. We notice these things. And Naomi knows that. She says, Ruth, clean up and dress up. Because we have a proposal to make. So she does, as she's told. Verse 5. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth. She replied, spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. I feel like I should at least say that sometimes the Bible describes things it may not prescribe 
for all time. Girls, if you like a boy, it may not be wise to sneak into their room and take off their covers. Just want you to know that, okay? The thing is, what's happening here is actually absolutely beautiful. But let's get some background first, and then I'll explain what's actually happening here. The threshing floor. Threshing floor was a place of celebration. The harvest has all been gathered, and then they take it to a hill, and at the hill they would take all the grain that they've gathered, and they'd often take pitchforks or anything like that and throw it up so the wind can blow away the chaff, can blow, blow away anything except the good grain. And that was the threshing floor. It would take some time. It would take some effort. But it was a time of celebration because you have gotten the harvest all together, and now you're getting it ready to be sold. But it wasn't a place that was to be taken lightly. You see, this was your produce. This was all your grain, and a thief could come and steal it. And so what would happen is all the men who were working, they would also, in their celebration, they would go and lay down in a circle around the threshing floor to protect it. So a thief would literally have to step over them in order to get to it. That's what's happening in this scene is Boaz is part of this great celebration in which they are finishing up the last steps in order to give the grain to the people. And it's a, it's a huge celebration. But it's also one that you have to keep wary about. So whenever he lies down in good spirits, he lies down to take his nap to protect his spoils, and he wakes up. And he finds his feet are uncovered. It's where he lays down at the threshing floor that Ruth finds him, uncovers his feet, and lays down. Now, some people have tried to read sexual innuendos into this. And I'm just going to stifle that of saying that goes against both Ruth's character and ancient context. There's no sexual innuendos going on here. She does not lay down beside him. She lays down at his feet. She uncovers his feet, and eventually his feet are going to get cold. Ruth is a faithful woman. She's a woman of faith, and she has been proven in her faithfulness, and now she is literally putting herself at the feet of Boaz and letting God take the next step. This is a beautiful moment. But it's what's going on here scares Boaz. I mean, you can imagine. For one, there were not women usually around his threshing floor. There may be women around other threshing floors, and they were women of the evening. But not around his, because Boaz is shown, shown to be a, a man of God. So he sees a woman at his feet. He's startled. And, he asked, and whenever he finds out it's Ruth, Ruth says, spread the corner of your garment or of your covering, your blanket, over me, for you are my family redeemer. What she is doing is proposing marriage. It's an odd way to propose marriage. I think if I would have told my wife, hey, would you spread the corner of your garment over me? She would have been like, what? Hey, would you marry me? Could you have just asked that the first time? Let's just be honest. Let's be clear here. Now, in ancient world, the typical way in which 
a, uh, a girl would find out if the guy liked him, if they were going to get married, is she would talk to her dad, who then the dad would then talk to the other family, whether it be the man or his dad, and they would kind of arrange the thing. And I don't know how you feel about arranged marriages, but I'll tell you this, in every culture that has had arranged marriages, their divorce rate is almost next to nothing, which ought to say something about our flawed system of which we marry for love. We ought to marry for so much more than love because life is done better together, all right? But here's the thing. Love ought to be part of it, and love is clearly in, the, in, in this. But since Ruth has no father, Naomi can't do the typical thing. She offers this proposal. Cover the, me with the corner of your robe. Now, if you've been listening to the story of Ruth, you may have caught where, where this is obviously supposed to be pointing to. Previous chapter, whenever Boaz first learns about Ruth and he starts taking care of her, he praises her for the kindness that, he's shown, that she has shown to her mother-in-law. And in that praise, he actually offers a blessing, a prayer for her. A blessing that comes, chapter 2, verse 12, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And now, in 3 verse 9, Ruth says, Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. That phrase is really close. Those two phrases are really close to each other. Under whose wings and spread the corner could also be understood as, Spread your wing over me, for you are my family redeemer. In essence, I think what Ruth is doing here is saying, Hey, bud, are we going somewhere, or are you just leading me on? In essence, what she is saying is, why don't you answer your own prayer? If you think this is worthy prayer, to pray to God that I be covered with his wings, you know a good way to do this? Cover me. Cover me. Now, you might be thinking, why did Ruth had to have to make this first step? Why didn't Boaz? Shouldn't it be the man's job to propose? What is going on here? Well, I think the answer is shown in his surprise. Not only is he surprised to see a woman at his feet and find out who it is, notice his reply in verse 10. He said, The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. He thought Ruth was out of his league. Like, he's like, I don't, she is too, much, too good of a woman, woman for me. Everyone in town knows she's a virtuous woman. I love that. She's a foreigner. She shows up here and, 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 and everyone's talking because who is this Moabite woman coming in and messing up our system. But the story changes by chapter 3. Chapter 1 and 3 look a little bit different. Chapter 3, everyone in town knows you're virtuous. Everyone. I love this because this is a hint to another virtuous woman, Proverbs 31. Perhaps you've read that one before. A woman of noble character. This is by no coincidence in fact, in the Hebrew Bible, they, they order their books a little bit differently. And in their ordering of books, can you guess which book follows Proverbs? I'll give you a hint. We've been talking about it. 
It's Ruth. So right after, in Proverbs 31, the last chapter of the book of Proverbs, you read about this wife of noble character. Guess what? We're going to illustrate that further. We're going to talk about Ruth, the foreign woman who has more nobility of character than many of our own. I love that. Boaz recognized it. The town recognized it. This is a woman of noble character. And Boaz, we also have to realize, is he's the real deal here. He's a, he's a stud. He doesn't, um, he doesn't mishandle this situation that's now upon him. Ruth virtually proposes, and he says, look, I'm going to take care of it. But how he takes care of it is absolutely beautiful. He shows concern for her safety by not sending her back home that ni- in the middle of the night. Notice it's midnight, about midnight, whenever he sees her and wakes up, He could have just said, hey, I got the point, now head back home. But see, it's not safe now. So he says, stick around. He shows concern for her reputation by saying, don't stick around too long, though. Because if other people wake up and they see you here, they're going to assume and uh, there's going to be a knock at your nobility. They're going to think that you're not quite as noble a woman as they thought. So you need to get out of here before everyone wakes up. And three, he shows concern for her purity by not taking advantage of the situation. If there was ever a time that you could say, hey, you know what? Everything's on the table. Everything's fine. Even the Lord himself seems to be pointing in the direction that I can go ahead and do what he has forbidden. Boaz says no. That relationship, the sexual relationship, is for marriage. So he doesn't take advantage of it. He shows concern for her purity. See, Boaz didn't have to redeem Ruth. The thing is about redemption, no one has to redeem someone else. It's not a have-to thing. Boaz chose to redeem Ruth. And redemption is such a huge part of the story. In fact, next week, that's really what we're going to be looking at is chapter 4 is about the redemption story. But just to give you a little preview, redemption means taking from something lesser to something greater. Or redemption means paying the debt. Redemption means buying out of slavery to be set free. Redemption, in this case, came from the designated family redeemer who has the option to redeem Ruth out of her widowness, to redeem the fields that would rightfully belong to her father-in-law so that they can continue to the next generation, to redeem her, her possessions, and her loneliness. And through this union Ruth and, of Ruth and Boaz, God would ultimately bring redemption to the whole earth. Do you see this in the story? Have you heard this story before? Do you see Jesus in this story? Someone who has chosen to redeem? What about, do you see yourself? You see, so often we look at Scripture and we read it for the story's sake and we read it like we do most any other novel. We're like, oh, that was a nice story, and then we walk away. Do you realize we've been invited to see ourselves with Ruth? We have been lost. We have been 
abandoned, so it seems, through death. We have been alone. We have been working to make ends meet, and we've been asking for some redemption, and we're waiting some answer. We're waiting. What's the answer going to be? There are two questions that I, uh, I want to ask you as we close. First one is this. Who do you ask or what do you ask for cover? What's your security blanket? What are you covering yourself with? See, the thing is, every one of us covers ourselves with something. It could be fame. It could be our reputation. Some of us cover ourselves with our family. We often maybe hide behind it or we put it on a pedestal a little too much. Some of us might have the security blanket of money that we really never can have enough. We always need just a little bit more. We're asking money to cover us. We ask our government to cover us. We even ask our church to cover us. We have so many things to cover us, but here's the thing. If you're not asking God to cover you, you're going to be disappointed. Because if you're asking other things or other people to cover you, you're going to become a people pleaser. You're going to just try to please the people, or you're going to assume that your value is in your valuables. Who do you ask for cover? Here's the thing. If you're not sleeping well at night, you might need to change your cover. If you're a little restless in your life, you might need to change your cover. You might need to start asking God to cover you. So here's the second question. What do you think God will say to that question? If you were to ask God, will you cover me, what do you think he would say? You know that the overwhelming majority of proposals that are made, the guy knows the answer. Oh, who am I kidding? We live in a world where the girls are proposing as well. They know the answer before they ask it. Most of the proposals stay in that way. They already know the answer. It's not a guess. It's not a 50-50 chance here. No, you know, you know the answer. Sometimes we think our relationship with God is even different than, than that. We think that we have to be lovable in order for God to actually love us. That there's something that we need to do in our lives to be lovable. We think that God's love has a limit according to our lovableness, if that's a word. Here's the thing, though. Take it to heart. You are the beloved of God. Not just, oh, in theory. He fashioned you. He created you in your mom's womb. He made you as you are. And he loves every bit of you. Not just the shape of you. He loves everything about you. What makes you tick inside your heart, your struggles, your concerns. You are his beloved Here's what you need to know. Here's the proposal as we close. There is nothing that you have done or could do to make God love you any less. Let that sink in. Because a lot of us feel like we are unlovable to God. Because we have messed up too big for God. That God is out of our league. There's nothing you can do that would make him love you less. And here's the other flip side of the coin. There is nothing you can do that would make God love you more. Because his love for you is perfect. His love for you is complete. 
And what he's asking you is if he can have the opportunity to redeem you. He's saying, look, I need your skin in the game here. I need you to come and ask me to cover you. I love you already. That is not bearing upon the question. The question is just about, are you going to receive that love and be redeemed? But so many of us are unwilling to step out on the faith. Have you ever prayed, Lord, cover me? Or have a lot of your prayers been, Lord, would you fix this? Lord, would you fix that? Maybe that's what we should pray. In fact, would you join me in this prayer? Let's pray together. Lord, we take this broken life of mine. Will you make it new? Lord, will you redeem me from my sins? Redeem me from the path that I've chosen that is wrong. And bring me home, to your home. Lord, cover me. May there be no other thing that I ask to give me security, to give me warmth, to give me hope. May you alone cover me. Amen. This morning, if you're in need of the right kind of cover, the proposal's there. Ask the Lord. You may think he's out of your league, but the thing is, he is waiting to, for you to show him that kindness. That you did not chase after other kind of things and other kind of, kinds of gods. You chose him. And you will not be disappointed. Because when redemption comes, it changes everything about you. So this morning, if you're in need of redemption, if you're in need of the cover of the Lord, would you let it be known? Would you come as we stand and as we sing together?